If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Romans, we're going to look at Romans 1 and Romans 3 as we continue our sermon series that's called Pillars that are looking at these five great truths that came out of the Reformation, these solas, these truths that stand alone, but are always together. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, you'll find these words in the bulletin as well. Does anybody know what happens just eight days from now on on August 21st? Anybody know what's happening here in our, our own country? The eclipse. And eight days from now, the moon will pass between the sun and the earth. And at just the right locations in the United States, they'll experience an amazing phenomenon. And that is a total solar eclipse. And there's places that we know that the scientists say, well, it's going to come right across this uh, part of America. They know what time it'll be there. And there's places like Columbia, South Carolina, that will be right in the crosshairs. That around 2.30 in the afternoon, Columbia, because of the solar eclipse, will be completely dark for like two and a half or three minutes. Is that not pretty cool? Uh, Personally, I think it's always dark in Columbia, but that's another story. As a matter of fact, I'm one of those guys that's excited about it. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking Monday's my day off. How do I get to Columbia? I mean, how, how do I go experience this? This is like the once in a lifetime kind of thing. But it was during the Middle Ages that it was nearly a total gospel eclipse that the truth of God's word, the truth of salvation found by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone was, was almost unseen. There was an eclipse of this gospel truth that the Reformation helped bring light to. The Reformation would dig into God's word and say, no, uh, this, this salvation is of God alone. And what they lived through the Middle Ages, this eclipse of the gospel was being rescued. It began with reformers like Martin Luther, who in 1517, reading scripture, even the very passage that we're going to read today, that the light of Christ shined and he understood the beauty of the gospel. The gospel, the good news of what Christ has done for us. Now, we got to understand about the Reformation. The Reformation aren't the guys who produced the gospel. The gospel was always there. God has always been gracious and has provided for us hope and salvation through faith in a promised Messiah. It's always been there. But that truth was eclipsed. Eclipsed by some real error in the church and really eclipsed by some real error in the way that we, uh, we were thinking. And what came out of the Reformation were these five key gospel truths. And they were known as the solas, which is Latin for alone. That these truths stand alone, but they always stand together. And you have to know what these truths were dealing with with, was this. That there were some certain errors that were happening in the church. Certain errors are happening in people's minds that still exist today. And at the bottom line, it was answering the question... That how is humankind saved? How are you and I made right with a holy God? And there was a lot of confusion of how we are to do that. But by God's word alone and God's grace alone, through faith alone, these, these truths emerge. And here's what we see. That salvation is by God's grace alone. It's through faith alone. We're going to look at that today. Last week we looked at grace alone. But it's in Christ alone. And it's according to God's word alone. And all of this is for the glory of God alone. Again, the Reformation didn't create these truths, but we rediscovered this reality. And although each one is very important, none of them 
stand alone by themselves, that together, grace, faith, Christ, scripture for the glory of God, they form our salvation. They form the good news of the gospel together that gives us hope of what God has done for us because salvation is of the Lord. Last week, we looked at sola gratia, which means grace alone. Today, we'll look at sola fide, which means faith alone. And again, what the Reformation was dealing with is the question that still we deal with. And it's basically that ultimate question is how is someone declared okay, safe, or justified by a holy God? And you got to get to life's like Martin Luther. You realize that Luther wrestled with this question deeply. As a matter of fact, he tried like, like, he tried like H-E double hockey sticks to drive out the impurity of his life to be stand before God justified. But no matter how hard Luther tried, no matter how hard Luther tried to become religious, he always felt that God was mad at him. He just had this holiness of God and the wrath of God scared him to death. He never could get the hell inside of him, out of him. And it wasn't until he realized the grace of God. It wasn't about how he lived his life that he was justified. And he realized it was how Jesus lived his life. The good news of the gospel is not about what we do. Listen, this is what you got to know. The good news of the gospel is what God does for our salvation. So it was Luther who was reading in Romans. And you got to understand that Luther had God's word as a monk, that God's people, the church didn't even have it. And as he read these passages, the passages we're going to read today, that he realized he was asking the wrong questions. He realized that he was trying to do something he could never do. And God's grace shined upon him. He realized that salvation is all by grace, all by faith, all by Christ alone. I don't know where you stand today. If you stand here and you're trying to, trying to be good enough for God, I hope that you can see that, that he's provided one that's good enough for you. If you're here today and you've come to that truth, I, I hope that this is amazing grace that melts your heart. I hope that you just well up with this joy saying, oh my goodness, it's not about me. It's all about him. To God and to God's glory, be alone. Let's look to God's word. We're gonna read Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. Really, it's, it's here we see this reformation uh, explode, this truth of scripture explode, and then see the details of it in chapter three, verses 21 through 31. But let's hear these amazing words of the gospel found in the epistle to Romans. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith or from faith to faith as it is written the righteous shall live by faith. And it's quoting Habakkuk 2.4. Paul will further elaborate in chapter three. We'll pick up in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace, uh, by, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, 
whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works, what we do? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that, that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, thank you for this amazing good news. This gospel, that it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Oh God, would you come and would you join us with the power of the preaching of your word so that each one of us will see this power, to see the righteousness of God and how we could obtain it by your grace through faith. Oh God, speak through a broken sinner like me. Would you please come with power and give each of us the ears to hear your voice, the minds to understand your word, the hearts that would embrace your truth and the, and the power of our feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name, to walk by faith. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain the good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your son, our savior, Jesus. And it's in his matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along, you'll find in your bulletin an outline for you. We're really going to look at two things that we are justified through faith alone and we are to live our lives walking by faith alone. What this passage tells us is so important that all of us need to see is that our connection to this great gospel of God is through faith alone and nothing else. It's not by our works. It's nothing that we do. It's not by being religious And it's just by God's grace through faith alone. In the Middle Ages, that's just been eclipsed. But the reality that Martin Luther saw that all of us needs to see, that faith alone is the article on which the church stands and falls. This is is not just a theological distinction that's kind of important. By faith alone is really by how our salvation will stand or fall. It's basically because of this. Because we are justified through faith alone. We are justified through faith alone because what justification does, it connects us to two very, very important things that we have to see. Because in the gospel, the gospel, it says, is the power of God. And the word power of God, that that Greek word is the dunamis. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. It's so powerful that this gospel takes those of us who by nature are children of wrath and it makes us beloved children of the king. The gospel is so powerful. It takes us from being dead in our transgressions and sins to fully alive in Christ Jesus. The gospel is so powerful as it takes those who are far off and it brings us near. 
And it's so important. And how do we have this power exercise in our life? How do we know it? It connects us through faith alone. The power is not in the faith. Faith is the connection to the power. Faith is the vehicle in which we have the power. And the first thing it connects us to, we got to see this, is the righteousness of God. It says that for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now, this is, this is like seismic because they were asking the question, how do I become righteous before God? How do I become right? What do I have to do so God will accept me and love me? Especially Luther, I mean, you feel so angry with me. But all of a sudden you realize the gospel is not about, watch this, it's not about our righteousness. It's about God's righteousness. Our, our salvation isn't found because God is going to look at us and say, oh, you know what, you're a pretty nice guy, a pretty nice girl. You, you've done a lot of nice things. You're righteousness enough, are righteous enough to be accepted. God will look at none of us. There's not one who is righteous in and of itself. None of us. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins. We can never do enough. We can never be good enough. We can never be righteous enough. So the gospel says it has nothing to do with your righteousness. It has everything to do with the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So our salvation is found at God not looking at us being righteous enough and declaring us not guilty. No, no. The gospel is that God looks at his son, Jesus, who he sent to live the life we failed to live, who was perfectly obedient, perfectly holy, perfectly just. And look at him and says, I look at his righteousness and now declare you not guilty. You see, apart from him, all of us, our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Apart from him, all of us are dead in our sins. Apart from grace and faith. You see, this is, this, this is so fundamentally important. I mean, this, this changed literally the world. Was what the gospel, the question is never, am I good enough to be justified? The question is, is Christ's righteousness good enough to me to be justified and declared not guilty? I mean, let's put, let's put this with you and me. How are you living your life? How are you living? What do you believe of the gospel? I don't think I fully understood this even growing up in a Christian home, that this was really the gospel. I always felt like I had to earn it. I always felt like I had to do better. I always felt like God was deep down disappointed in me because I always still mess it up. I just can't seem to get it right. I always had this works mindset. Yeah, yeah, I get in it because God is gracious and I got to have this faith thing. But I started to focus on my righteousness and not God's. How about you? Do you know when it comes to your salvation that you are justified not because of your righteousness, because in the gospel, the power of God has been revealed and the righteousness of God has been revealed. And what it is, is this. God has linked us by his grace to the righteousness of Christ, not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, because of God's grace, be faith alone. So, so what faith alone is, it connects us to two things. It connects us to the righteousness of God. And the second thing it connects us to is the sacrifice of God. That's the cross. You see, for salvation to come to, to fruition, you had to have two things. You had to have someone who was just and someone who would, who would pay the price for those who aren't. The cross, it links us to the sacrifice of God. Romans 3 calls it the propitiation of sins and the blood of Christ that, that God offered up the sacrifice. 
You see, what the gospel tells us is amazingly beautiful and true. It's that Jesus Christ lived for us. We messed up, but he came and he lived the life we were supposed to because God's got to maintain his holiness. He's got to maintain his justice. But it's more than that Jesus came to live for us. He came to die for us, to become a curse for us, to shed his blood for us. In the gospel of John, John the Baptist, who did not write the gospel of John, but in John chapter one, he said something beautiful about Jesus. He said, behold, the lamb of God. He saw Jesus, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you might say, well, that's kind of an interesting th- statement. Behold, the lamb of God. And if you read the Bible, if you know the whole story of the Bible, that lamb of God would mean something to you. You see, because holy God has always tried to provide a way for for sinful man to have access to him. Because scripture will say that there's no forgiveness of sins without shedding of the blood. And so all those sacrifices of bulls and goats and and lambs, they they all pointed to an ultimate sacrifice that would work on the cross. But this lamb of God has special power. Behold the lamb of God. And anyone who knew what the Old Testament said, especially a Jewish audience, they think, oh yeah, the Passover lamb. He was basically saying, behold, the Passover lamb of God, the one that God provided that's going to take away our sins. It's basically going to say, look at this one, because Jesus, he's both just, he's without sin. He's that spotless lamb, but he's also the justifier. He has one laid his life down for us. Second Corinthians 5.21 says it this way. God took him who knew no sin, Jesus, the just, the righteous one, to become our sin. So ready for this? So that in him, we might become the righteousness, important, of God. That God's righteousness is ours by God's grace through faith. D.A. Carson has an interesting story that he tells about uh, that first Passover. And that first Passover with the Passover lamb, it was a part of how God removed his people from slavery in Egypt and brought them to the promised land. It was kind of a foreshadowing. This is what God always does. He loves his children. He provides a way for them to be released from slavery and brought into the promised land. It's always been God's plan. And so he, he brought plagues to the Egyptians and these plagues were, were terrible to show his power and authority over all of the gods of Egypt. But the last, very last plague was going to be the worst of them all. It was going to be the death of the firstborn son. But God came to his people and he said, okay, here's the plan. Death is going to come and the firstborn son is going to be wiped out. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a spotless lamb. I want you to take a spotless lamb. I want you to sacrifice that lamb. And I want you to take the blood of the lamb and I want you to put it over your door. The lentil, I want you to put it over the door frame. I want it, I want it there. And when, when the angel of death comes, it'll pass right by. And Carson tells a story of these two Jews that were talking to each other saying, so, so man, crazy stuff happening here in Goshen, huh? Seems like God is really rolling up his sleeves. And, and man, did you hear about this Passover lamb thing? Are you going to do it? And the first one says, of course I'm going to do it. God is working and I believe in God. He's a God of promise and he's rescuing his people. Of course, I can't wait. I'm going to slaughter the, the lamb. We're going we're gonna to eat it in haste. We're going to take the blood. We're going to put it over our doorframe. How about you? Are you going to do it? I don't know. It sounds crazy. I mean, isn't it kind of crazy that we're putting blood on our door? Isn't it kind of crazy that the blood of a lamb is going to be enough for death to pass us by? You know what? I'm not really sure, but I'm going to do it. So they both put the blood on the door. Which one was saved? Which one? They both. 
You see, the power was not in the faith. The power was in the blood. The power in the blood of the lamb. The power in the blood of God is powerful enough to save us from our sins, to wash away our sins and to make us white and cleaner than snow. It's an amazing power. And so the reality of this gospel isn't, is your faith strong enough to save you? The reality of the gospel is it connects us, not just to the righteousness of God, but the power of God and the offering of the sacrifice of God. And there's power in the blood. And so we all should say, nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. I have no other hope. But this incredible vehicle of faith that will provide us salvation. So our salvation is found in looking to Christ's sacrifice alone. And God will declare not guilty because Jesus' blood as a spotless lamb of God was enough to cover and pay for our sins. Isn't that incredible good news? His sacrifice, not ours. You see, with the gospel, the ultimate question is never, is my faith strong enough to be justified? But the question is, is Christ's blood powerful enough to me to have my sins washed clean? See, the beauty of the God, the Bible says that faith is small as a mustard seed. Nothing in our hand I bring. The power is not in the faith. The power is in the connection. It's the vehicle that God uses us to connect us to the gospel. When I flew into Newark to see my sister for, in New York City and her, her surgery, I went into Newark and I was reminded of that time in my life that I'd always take the New Jersey transit past through Newark into Manhattan. But the reality is landing in, in Newark, you have a lot of different ways that you can get into New York City, Manhattan. I mean, you can go on the PATH train, you can go on New Jersey transit, you can go on Amtrak if it goes through, you can take a bus, uh, uh, you, can, you, know, you can take a helicopter if you can afford it, you can swim, I mean, you can walk. You could bike. There's a lot of ways that you can get into New York City. But what this is saying is faith alone. There's only one way to be saved. There's only one way to get to the Father. And it is completely by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, there's a difference between believing this intellectually and believing this with your whole life. Because scripture says that even demons believe in shudder. So it's not enough to say, do you have a intellectual assent to say that, that Jesus, you got to believe that he came, that he's real, that you believe in some of the creeds. No, this is saying Jesus is the only way. He's the only bridge. And I'm putting my whole life and my whole weight and my whole hope in him. Is that where you are? That's faith alone in Christ alone. Secondly, living by faith alone. We're not only saved by faith alone, we're to live by faith alone. It says it this way in, in, in Romans 1, 17, we're to live from faith to faith uh, walking with Jesus doesn't begin with faith. Then you work like crazy to make sure you earn it. It's always by God's faith. Christianity begins and ends with faith. We walk by faith until faith is no more and we see him with sight. But we also have to realize this, you ready for this? Even faith, if you're here and you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you really have walked that bridge, you really trust in him, you ready for this? Even faith is a gift. You didn't generate it on your own. You can't because dead people can't generate anything. Those who are by nature children of wrath don't all of a sudden wake up and say, you know what, I gotta have faith. Even our faith is a gift. It says it this way in Romans 3, that we're justified by God's grace as a gift. And part of that gift is faith. Philippians 1.29 will tell us that it's been granted to us to believe. It's all by God's grace. And it's all by faith alone. Again, it's always, it's, it's always by faith alone and it's always been by faith alone. I don't have time to unpack this, but I want to tell you that 
You were saved in the Old Testament by God's grace through faith. You're saved in the New Testament. Abraham believed. He believed that God would send a Messiah. He believed in the promises of God and it was credited to him as salvation. We are saved in the beginning and end, all by God's grace, all through faith. It's true to Abraham. It's true for us. He believed in a Messiah to come. We believe in a Messiah who has come. So that, that how's, how should we then live? Well, in verse 27, it says, we shouldn't have anything to boast about. Salvation is completely of the Lord. Last week, we looked at you're saved by God's grace through faith, not of works so that no one can boast. How should we live our lives? We should live them humbly. If you're a child of the king, you owe it all to the grace of the God, even the faith that he's given you. You're to walk by faith every step of the way. Sometimes saying this world is so messed up and crazy. They're certainly not walking by faith in many parts of our country even now. But we have to bear fruit of our faith. Last week, we looked at we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do those good works, to, to live our lives so that the world can see the reality of him inside of us. Here's what I want you to know. He never wants you to live your life trying to earn something that he's graciously given you that he'll never take away from you. But he wants you to live your life forgiven and free, knowing that he'll never change his mind about you. Why? Because it's not about your righteousness. It's about his. Why? Because his life, death, and resurrection was enough for us. You're covered. You're cleared. You're loved. You're forgiven. You're free. Now walk by faith. He'll never change his mind about you. He'll never give up on you. He's given everything he can in Christ Jesus and he's coming back for us. And now walk humbly, walk in the reality of that gospel truth bearing fruit for him. This table is a tangible reminder. That's what communion is. It's a tangible reminder that Jesus was enough. It reminds us that by God's grace through faith, we're connected to the righteousness of God and the sacrifice of God. It's a meal that's going to strengthen us to help get us home. But it's a very specific meal. It's a meal for only those who have faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. How is it with you today? Has this world eclipsed you from the gospel truth? Are you living your life eclipsed from the reality that it's not about you, it's all about him? Are you trying to earn your way into God's favor when he's already completely built that bridge to you in Christ Jesus alone? If you've yet to embrace Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, may today be the day that God grants you the grace to turn to him and say, I really believe. And I can have that power of God for salvation and truly be free. But for the rest of us who know this reality, may we rejoice and walk humbly and come to this table in great anticipation saying, God, thank you that Jesus's righteousness was enough. And that power of God made me one of yours. Thank you for that blood that covers my sin and makes me whiter than snow. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we thank you for amazing grace for sinners like us. And we thank you for even the gift of faith and what that connects us to, not to our righteousness, but to yours and to that cross and to the sacrifice. We thank you for your son who is both the just and the justifier the one who is just and righteous and justifies us through his blood that was shed for us on the cross. And thank you for this meal. That's a tangible reminder of the depth of love you have for us. Come and feed your people. 
Bless your tithes and our offerings. Use them to advance your kingdom and prepare our hearts for you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.